Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. Annie Rice made the decision not to seek re-election to the St. Louis Board of Aldermen nine months ago. And while she briefly reconsidered the move after three of her colleagues were indicted and resigned, Rice says she realized she could no longer serve from a place of love and community like she wanted to. The outgoing 8th Ward Alderwoman joins us on the latest episode of Politically Speaking. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Rachel Lipman, and joining me in the studio today is... Annie Rice. She is the outgoing alderwoman for the Old Eighth Ward. And Annie, remind me, you have been in office since when? Since... I was elected in February of 2017. Right, because so, there was a weird special, yeah. came in as an independent, ran again in 17 or 18, I can't remember. Ran, ran again, so, oh, I'm sorry, the election was in 18. Uh, the vacancy happened in 17. Uh, the election happened in 18. So I was seated in 18, then uh, ran again in 19, 19. for the full term. Yes. So this is, so you served the one full term yeah. on the board plus an additional year, I don't know, year-ish. Yeah. All right. And you actually made the decision pretty early, early-ish on not to seek another full term on the board. What drove you to make that decision? Yeah. Um, you know, personally, this this last five years has been a lot. There's been a lot happening in my own family. And um, so there's there's kind of a, a tiredness that is is oversetting all of it um, and coming into ward reduction and knowing that uh, I was being pitted against one of my colleagues. I knew that the lines were going to be drawn that way. And just to to kind of for myself decide it's OK to take a step back right now, let somebody else uh, move in. Um, and and that that decision got a little bit different uh, once some indictments came down. But um, a lot of it, a lot of it was a personal decision. Um, I I like to serve from a place of love and community and, you know, enthusiasm and found myself very tired and uh, disillusioned and um, need to it. I, I think that maybe more politicians could stand to admit to themselves when that happens. And it's time, it's OK to take a step back and um, let somebody else who's got that energy step into place. So. And when you say that when the indictments came down and this is the three indictments of former colleagues of yours on the board, that it made the decision a little different. Did you like think about changing your mind when those came down or did it solidify more like, yes, this is a good time to step away? 
there was a brief uh, six, eight hour window of, oh my goodness, well, this is <laughs> different. Um, and I mean, there's a whole lot of emotions that come with something like that. Um, and and I, I don't mean to make light of the situation or the impact on their families and all of that, um, but there is there is a huge impact on your colleagues and on the city and, and how just basic operations work. And so there was a, there was a brief moment of, oh, well, this changes things. Um, and then kind of in the the hubbub around, well, what's going to happen next and who's kind of stepping up and what's all of that. And all of that energy uh, was more draining than energizing. And so it was like, no, this was the right thing to do to to continue to step back. You mentioned you've been on the board for five years yeah. and it feels longer to me. And I'm sure it feels a yeah. heck of a lot longer to you as yeah. well. Um, over those five years, what do you think has been, you think will be your le- legislative legacy in the city? Yeah, I think... Um, you know, for my ward, for the eighth ward, it was a big change. It was a huge change. Yeah. 27 years of one alderman and then myself coming in. You know, folks have told me it's just it was great to have a, a voice that was more like theirs in the in the room. And, um, you know, I, I worked on. Uh, you know, we worked on reproductive rights. We worked on trying to shore up what we could here um, in the in the city when the, the state is coming after us and all of these things. We. Um, surveillance oversight is one that I wasn't able to get across the finish line, but we've started that conversation. And um, we we had some movement with the mayoral administration. And I think hopefully this next board will be able to, to bring that forward. Um, so that's, that is a piece of continuing that conversation and making sure that that didn't get lost. The Charter Commission is really the biggest, the biggest other thing that I'm hoping that will be successful. Um, but really, for me, it was trying to find a balance between legislative priorities and the fires that pop up every day, right? The the job of aldermen right now is um, responding to all of the phone calls, responding to all of the emails, and everyone has an urgent issue that pops up every single day of the week. And so how do you carve out time to even work towards legislative priorities? And so um, that it was a whole lot more difficult than I expected um, to get into that. So you know, the ones that people could trace back and say, well, you know, Annie was the um, sponsor of this bill, but it was working behind the scenes on a lot of things and helping move votes and helping get language correct and that type of thing. So I, I hope that I was I hope that I was a good colleague. That's what I, I coming down to the end of it is that I, I hope that I worked well with my colleagues and I, I hope that we helped move the city forward in, in some way. And perhaps I shouldn't have been baffled by this, but it was always um, baffling to me that the board was so reluctant to even have the conversation around surveillance priorities. Yeah, You would frame it as, and correctly so, this is what the legislation said, you know, we just want to draft this policy. This bill is not the policy. Right. And you'd get into debates on policy. What in the world is going on there? I think some of it comes down to good faith, bad faith. I think some of it comes down to... Um, one of the things that I said recently on on the floor was, could we just assume best intentions of our colleagues? You know, we're we're not the Missouri legislature. We're not, you know, gunning for each other um, in a way that happens in Jefferson City in the same way. And I I, I think some of it is a, a misunderstanding and sort of over politicization of local issues. Right. Like this is not. Um, you know, I'm not abolishing the police out of this, right? This was a, what technology do we have? How are we using it? Um, what are we spending on it? Um, how can people access it? All of those questions that still remain pretty unanswered. And I think there's there's an immediate um, defensiveness that comes up and wasn't able to get enough um, buy-in 
across the board for people to really grasp what it was that we were trying to do. Um, but I, you know, I, I think I think there's a, a potential moving forward for having those conversations and um, having a, a police department, a direct Department of Public Safety that's more on board with that as well. So, You did mention the Charter Commission, yeah. and you managed to get that across the finish line in this term. Um, briefly describe what voters are going to see on the ballot and what you are asking them to do in April. Yeah. So April 4th, uh, Proposition C is on the ballot, and that it would create, it was a charter change that would create this Charter Commission, um, and the Charter Commission would be a piece of city government. The goal here is this group of nine will meet over the course of one year, have public conversations, um, uh, public discussions. STLTV will cover all of the meetings, um, will publicize all of the documents. There's there's various requirements in there for that type of transparency. Um, but they'll evaluate the charter, listen to people, listen to former employees, listen to current employees, and figure out, are there things that are in the charter that aren't serving us anymore? Um, and at the end of that process, by uh, August of 2024, whatever they come up with will go back to the voters automatically. So um, there won't be aldermanic interference on this. It's not coming back to the Board of Aldermen. It's not going to the mayor's office. Nobody nobody gets to weigh in on this except for this commission. But that all of those recommendations will always go back to the voters. Then this process would re- start every 10 years. We don't have a regular mechanism for uh, evaluating the charter right now. Charter was written in 1914. There's a whole lot of the city that wasn't eligible to vote in 1914, um, let alone, you know, just the city is a very different city. And so with the the idea that a, a foundational governing document like our charter is supposed to be updated, is supposed to be changed, and we have an opportunity to bring it in-house and hopefully take some of the stigma of, well, which outside interest group is really pushing this agenda, which you know millionaire is pushing an agenda here, but this is really a collaborative city um, citizen effort um, to make sure that the charter is working for us. So a yes vote in April means that this process starts, means that the charter is changed to create this as a mechanism within the charter and um, as a, uh, with the authority to send amendments to the ballot. Um, and then it will happen every 10 years uh, going forward so that this isn't something that we do once and then forget about. Was there one thing that happened or one thing you noticed in like reading over the charter at times where you were like, this is why there needs to be a regular review of this document. Both of the mayors that I've served with have indicated that the charter is an issue. Um, and I've had conversations since with former mayors that have said, absolutely, the charter is a hindrance to us being able to do our job. Um, and I heard that from my colleagues as well um, coming through things. The biggest flag for me was personnel. Um, the personnel director serves basically... Uh, as long as they want to, they're virtually unfireable. Um, and there have only been four, I think maybe five over the course of uh, the entire time that th that position has existed. Um, and the personnel department uh, has struggled to keep up with changing technology. We are in a crisis of not having enough public employees and not being able to raise salaries quickly enough and, and make these jobs attractive to uh, folks who are, are looking for new jobs. Um, so I think I, personnel was the one that kind of kept coming up and keeps coming up when we're talking to citizens about, you know, where are things that we could really make an impact here? Um, that's the biggest one is how do we make that whole department more responsive? And some of that is because the the director is so insulated um, in their power and they're not they're not appointed regularly the way that um, that the other members of cabinet are um, and so 
having that continual check and balance uh, is, is it's out of balance there. Yeah. I think it is fair. Most people listening to this would say debate got a little weird on this on the floor on perfection. But at the root of it, I think there was a question about information and getting information out to the community and information back from the community. How do you ensure that the entire city and not just those who are, you know, civically engaged, tuned in because they have the capacity to be tuned in, know what is going on in this process and know what the intent is? It's a it's absolutely a fair question. It's one of the things that I wish I mean, I, I wish that we could establish a an office of public engagement for the city. Like having a regular check, um, a regular office that is out there talking with people and getting information out. Um, we have we have incredible organizations that are, are grassroots and can get information out quickly. And that's what I'm trying to utilize to get the word out about this amendment. Um, but it's it's going to be a big task. So we're kind of calling the charter commission a task force to go and look at the the charter when when things aren't functioning well um it's it's common practice to kind of put a task force together and say all right you guys are focused on this issue um the the public nature of that so making sure or knowing that stltv is going to be airing the meetings they're going to be recording the meetings um public notices have to go out um that's one of the mechanisms but uh, I am hoping that, and, and I'm trying to set up kind of on my way out the door here, the the structure that neighborhood and associations are engaged, that ward organizations are engaged, um, and the aldermen themselves have a part, have a significant part to play in the nominating process for people who are sitting on the commission. Um, and so they all know that the success of this only comes from their ability to talk with folks and be able to get people involved. And these public meetings should move. They shouldn't all just be at City Hall. They should be moving across this city. Um, and we tried to make sure that there was budget for that as well. So hopefully through a number of, of avenues, and I realize this is, is very optimistic of me, um, this this whole process. We is, appreciate you about that, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, I try to remain optimistic about the city and, and our capacity to do things like this. Um, and so I really hope that the people who are coming in, uh, this new board of aldermen, and I, I know the, the president is behind this, the mayor is behind this. And so knowing that that leadership is there, uh, that we're going to be able to push through a successful process. On sort of a more like philosophical level, how do or how should the board, the future board, former alders, et cetera, kind of help build the capacity in their ward. It's challenging. I mean, I think we've we've seen in this ward reduction and sort of this realignment that continuing a ward organization is a whole lot of work, right? Um, and I continuing that that public engagement. I think organizations and citizen organizations and volunteer organizations are all seeing this fatigue right now in the community. And I, I don't think, I, I think some of that is new. Some of that is because, um, you know, there are people working two and three jobs, have kids that are um, in school or, you know, have to be home doing homework, that type of thing. Um, there are reasons why people aren't engaged in, in volunteer efforts and um, community things, but it's, people are tired right now and so getting people involved is it's going to be it's going to be tricky and i you know i'm i'm doing everything that i can right now to get out in various forms of media and talk about what the potential is here and how folks can um, participate in the process and stay stay engaged in this um but it's really 
you know, I, I hope that one of my hopes for the new Board of Aldermen is that with some staff that their communications can be even better. It's challenging for all of us, and it, it's really up to each individual alder person and each person serving how much time and effort they want to devote to that um, and, and how to get that message across. So we're, you know, no process is going to be perfect. I I have high hopes for this, um, but it, it also is going to be an exercise in patience um, and uh, knowing that we can't fix all of the issues this first time around and um, setting this out and saying, hey, in 10 years from now, maybe there's some bigger stuff that we can work on. And maybe our academic institutions and folks with historical knowledge about charters and forms of government can work on clinics with their students or things like that that can give good suggestions back um, and we can build out more of a a robust public engagement process. Um, So hoping for the best right now, working for the best on this front end, um, and then hoping to build that capacity going forward to the next time. And we'll be right back after this quick break. St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East. We put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts. And we are back on Politically Speaking with outgoing 8th Ward Alderwoman Annie Rice. And Annie, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the podcast, and that was just the transformation of your ward when you were elected. It's a rapid transformation that happened in your ward, but it's also happening kind of all over the city. What What's going on there? Yeah, you know, um, I have to attribute some of my success to Kevin McKinney, who ran against Steve Conway uh, a couple of years before, I think. So that was the 2015, 20, yeah, 2015, election, I think, 2015 yep. election um, and came within 90 votes. Right. And so it was clear that there was already momentum sort of happening there. Um, and a lot of it is it's the Ferguson uprising. It was a an awakening of a lot of people to things aren't working how do we how do we look at what the problems are and how do we move forward here um and i think you know we got our ward especially had a very strong look at this right we had um the the death of vonder at myers right after um and the the protests came home right it wasn't just in ferguson those were in our backyard um and we had started having conversations as a neighborhood really these deep community conversations about what is what's happening in shaw right now what's happening in the eighth ward right now that could be really similar you know to what happened in ferguson um then the the protests on south grand right that's our backyard that is you know that's also in the ward and so um there's there are a lot of really engaged people that live in that area um and folks that want to see the city thrive um and trying to figure out how do we how do we help make that how do we help make that happen um and sort of the trajectory what seems like the status quo trajectory was not growing the city um and it feels like there's there's some momentum right now it's it's really easy to get um pessimistic about the city but then there there are things that are like bright shining lights that are really cool that you know I can't believe you know, tens of thousands of people are coming into the city every weekend to visit some of our attractions that are here, even with all of the bad news about, you know, crime and violence and things like that. Um, people are still coming here and there's there's energy um, in the air. We're, we're moving this changeover. Um, 
we've got new leadership for the first time that um, looks and sounds and is backed by very different people than were there before. Um, and I think for the first time, maybe we've got some structure into that um, into that movement as well. Um, and I have to credit President Green on this that. Not when she first got elected as older person, um, she went out and found national networks um, of elected officials, got involved with, and knew how important it was to back other candidates and help kind of strengthen this movement around to the city. And, you know, there's lots of people have lots of opinions about, you know, President Green herself or, you know, her politics or how she messages things. Um, but she ushered in a a space for a lot of us to come in and people who may not have been interested in government otherwise found it themselves being supported as they stepped into office. And that was something that, you know, we weren't giving young people before. So one of the things you obviously have a mayor, a president, and occasionally a comptroller who are fairly ideologically in lockstep. As you've mentioned, the board's beginning to shift. Where then is the check and balance on each other? I would not say that um, the the mayor and the president are completely in lockstep. I think that there, there are differences of tactics. There are differences of, you know, how are we going to actually execute a, a project or a plan? Um, and I, I think that the comptroller is is also a part of that that check there saying hey hey wait a minute like you all you know she's she's been in office for a very long time um longest serving yeah. uh, elected official now in the city i have to think yeah she has been a steady fiscal steward um for the city and so her voice is very important in that room and i, I think she knows that right now realistically speaking is the board ready to operate as a group of 14 individuals not unlike the personality side, that's still TBD, but just infrastructurally speaking, is the board ready to be a group of 14 people? They are working hard to get there. So I I think um, one of the benefits of the special election in November and then uh, President Green being unopposed means she's been able to dedicate her entire time to making sure that this transition actually works. Um, And the number of times that I've heard people say, well, we had 10 years to work on this. And there's there's a consequence for sticking our heads in the sand and not not doing this work. It was done deliberately to have the time to be prepared. Yeah. You know, and and credit to some of my colleagues, they tried, you know, Alderman Cohn tried, Alderwoman Navarro tried. um, And, you know, all of those, there were mechanisms that were set into place to try to help get us ready for this. And uh, we were not able to move forward because folks wanted to keep revoting it. And so, um, you know, it, it will be a bit of a challenge. It will absolutely be a bit of a challenge. The biggest thing I think is, you know, not only just moving 14 desks out overnight, um, but they have to they have to rework committees, right? And and the just the day to day operating structure is going to be very different for this new board. Because so. I think there's an equal number of committees to aldermen. There are more currently right there, now. More, okay. Yeah, there's so, 16 standing committees, and there will be 14 aldermen. And there's a couple that got added. So one of them got added on at least recently. The education and youth matters. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So here, chair two committees. Have yes. fun with that. Yeah. yeah. So you now get to watch all of the ongoing races as a city resident, but not the outcome doesn't impact you other than that. What's the most fascinating one you're watching, and why? Ooh. 
I'm very interested in what's happening down in the first ward right now. Um, I that is farther south, St. Louis. Is that Sh- that's Schweitzer Kirchner, yes. right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, and um, I. Anne has been a delight uh, to work with as uh, as an older person. Um, she came in and she got to work immediately. She's very much been her own older person uh, through this process, and she's broken with colleagues on votes. She's mm-hmm. uh, broken with the mayor on votes, um, and she's very much tried to say, this is what my constituents need down here, and she's been a really great voice, so I'm, I'm fascinated in what's happening down there. The other race uh, would probably be... Um, Narayan Vaccaro yeah. is the is the other big one. So, um, you know, I I've really enjoyed serving with um, Alderman Narayan as well, and you know, I think that that that's another one where this sort of you know old guard versus new wave is really playing. And out he in is a also big way. his own person too. I Absolutely. mean, he's broken with a more progressive wing of the party at times. You know, for whatever calculations he made. Yeah, you know, and I think I think both his race and um, Alderman Schweitzer's there's. There isn't a political purity thing that can happen, especially in local government, right? We are nonpartisan for a reason. There is not a specific, here is exactly what you're going to sign on to, and you're never going to sway from these these talking points or you know these positions on matters. Um, you you have to do the best that you can for your community, and there are, there are decisions that both of them have made that I disagreed with, and we've we've kind of had it out on that. Um, but I respect their decisions to represent their communities in the way that they have. Um, And there has to be room for that. It's just politics doesn't work when we hold people to the most extreme positions. And I don't think that anybody is actually trying to do that. But I think there's a there's an air of, well, if you're supported by the mayor, if you're supported by President Green, then you're this type of person or you're this type of person. And, you know, we're we're all very individual um, when it comes down to things. And the conversations that we have um, both on the floor and amongst each other are they're robust. Um, so yes. and I, I think that's important. That's um, the city gets the best out of us when we we all show up as our authentic selves and represent our communities. What do you think will be the lasting impact of the aldermanic corruption scandal? You know, it was fascinating to me sort of as a as a person serving on the board when this happened, the significant impact it had on all of us and just our ability to operate and, you know, having three presidents in one term after having one president for 12 years or however long um, President Reed had been in there. Yeah. Um, was, I mean, it was drastic. It was significant. And not only was it, you know, the president's departure and second longest, um, or was it, was he first he was, longest? Boyd was third. Third? Second? Anyway, so uh, it's very senior leadership. Yeah. yeah, significant leadership stepping away in we the middle. We both should know this, let's be fair, but. <laughs> it's the things that my brain can still hold on to at this point. Um, Accurate. You know, having them step aside in the middle of this term, in the middle of this, you know, significant transformation. We had just done redistricting um, and all of the staff as well. So, right. So we didn't just lose President Reed. We some of the staff stayed on, you know, for a couple of months with um, with acting President Fulmer. um, But then they're gone now, you know, and that that office was empty, empty when President Green moved in, right? I think they had to go find trash cans. Um, so the, the loss of knowledge there and the the loss of just continuation and, um, you know, I think 
in some ways, we are really lucky to have um, Clerk Kennedy in there, the, a little bit of um, steady, steady hand and sort of steady operation under that. Um, but, you know, it I think I think the impact is going to be that people are are. Well, I hope that the impact is that people are suspicious, right? I, I want people to have a close eye on us and not just like I see I'm saying us and it's not us anymore. Um, have a close eye on their politicians and not just support what they do because they like their position or they hate their opponent or they think, um, you know, someone is is good looking and so we're going to follow them or they've said things that I like and so I'm going to agree with them 100%. That doesn't work. Um, it doesn't work for national politics. It doesn't work for local politics. And so I, I want I want more people to be paying attention. Um, I didn't know what was happening, um, the, the things that were revealed in the indictments. And um, I, I had no idea that that was happening. Since then, I've heard more stories of, well, this is what we thought was happening, or I knew that this was happening, or this. And I just, I want people to be more empowered to call out the wrong when it's wrong. Um, and that should happen at every level of government in every one of these offices. And can we also shout out, in addition to Clerk Kennedy, Assistant Clerk Sharita Rogers, absolutely keeping you guys on track, getting absolutely. through those bills, making sure things move in there. She's a wonder to watch. She is. And an uh, expert coin flip reader, by the way, as well. <laughs> expert coin flip reader. Um, I think that might go down as one of the most ridiculous days in, in my service. No, um, Assistant Clerk uh, Sharita Rogers, uh, I would, you know, if, if there were something that I could do for her to just... I don't know. I don't know how to honor her appropriately for all of the work that she has done um, and the the amount of weekends, the amount of nights, um, the just over and above that she took on uh, to keep us running is is just exceptional. And the staff that has been with us for a very long time, Lisa, Tina, um, uh, Tracy, uh, they're actually and Lisa just finally just retired, but um, kept us running in over the course of a pandemic when they all got separated from their offices. Um, and their longevity in these roles kept us sustained as well. So um, I apologize if I missed anybody, but um, they're all of just, the aldermanic staff. Yes. Andy Rice salutes you. Yes. What are you absolutely going to miss about this? And what are you absolutely not going to miss about this? I am going to miss my colleagues. I am going to miss the the debate is fun. I like um, having conversations that matter in public, and I, I like being able to bring other people into the room. Um, the The number of constituents and citizens of the city that we were able to bring in and sort of highlight and put on boards and um, and bring up for testimony and, and um, support that has been incredible. The things I will not miss are it's it the bad faith. There have been debates that have devolved. There have been um, accusations made um, that are just unwarranted, particularly after a time of actual corruption um, that we saw. There have um, been long, mean arguments that are completely unnecessary. And I, I won't miss that. I won't miss um, the, the pit in my stomach of what is this going to devolve into today? Um, and and I, I think that the, the public you know, should keep all of those things in mind when they're voting for people. So after a nice long nap, 
What are you up to next? Oh, I will for sure be whole on Hobbit holding um, with a book and uh, with my phone turned off. I said I will attend uh, the inauguration on the 18th and support those folks as they're sworn in, uh, and then I will turn off my phone. So <laughs> um, I just, I don't have I don't have a next step yet. So um, I think part of part of the level of burnout um, that I'm at, and I am I'm grateful to have the the space and the opportunity to do this is to take some time off. So um, I got married. Uh, and congratulations. Uh, thank you. And you know, we'd like to do a honeymoon, we'd like to do some, you know, some actual traveling away, spend time as husband and wife. Yeah, yeah. And not have to be checking in on, on my phone and you know, the constituent issues that are coming up. And um, so hopefully we'll get some travel in. I have an adorable 10 month old nephew in Texas that I'm going to go spend time with and then kind of see what the what the future holds there have been some opportunities that come up and um you know we'll we'll see I, I don't know I don't know exactly what the direction will be but um I'm hopeful that we'll I will find a good fit going forward Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can find this episode with Annie Rice and more at stlpr.org. Until next time, so long. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.